Amen. Amen. Well, I tell you what, how'd y'all like them Jesus aerobics? Get up, get up, get up out of that grave. We won't charge you no extra for that, for the exercise program this morning. But I tell you what, I like that part. Hell lost another one. Amen. I'm free. I don't know about y'all, but I bet the old devil was screaming when he got set free. Amen. And I hope someone today gets set free from what we deserve. You know, people in hell today, they get what they deserve. We all deserved hell at one time. But Jesus, through his grace and love, give us what we don't deserve. Forgiveness and mercy and grace and eternal life. I don't know about y'all, but how would anybody want to live without Jesus? I want to look at something this morning. If you got your Bible, it comes from the book of 1 John, 1 John chapter 5. It's a verse you've all heard. If you've ever had took a witnessing class and or you didn't witness too, someone may have used this verse. It's very familiar territory. And we're going to look in 1 John this morning. And you know, I don't know about you, but when I read 1 John, John, I love him. He's black and white. He's to the point. He don't make it hard to understand who's a Christian and who's not. And that's what this book is for, so that you can know that you're saved. And you know, today... I don't know where you stand with the Lord, but if there's ever been a time since I can ever think of when you needed to know you saved, it's right now. It's always important, but we're living in the last times. And let me tell you what John says in his gospel. According to the gospel of John, Jesus said this in John chapter 3, verse 36. He who believes in the Son has everlasting life. He who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. I don't know if you ever think about this, but that's not just a song we sing, Hell Lost Another One. Everyone outside of Jesus, everyone who doesn't have the Son and believe in the Son, the wrath of God already abides on him. And friends, today as we look here, John's writing because he wants us to know if we've trusted Jesus, to be encouraged, to be reminded, to be spurred on in our faith that we have eternal life. And he says right here in chapter 5, verse 13, this is the whole reason he wrote the book. He tells you right here, these things I have written to you. Everything in this book from chapter 1 to chapter 5 was written he says, these things I have written to you who believe, past tense, you, right now, you believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. Father, today I just pray for assurance that everyone will leave here comforted in the, 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 the grace that provides eternal salvation, Lord. Everyone who has trusted Jesus, and if there's anyone here tonight, this morning who hasn't trusted, I pray that you would open his eyes, prepare his heart, and that today he would receive this awesome gift that you give us through Christ. Salvation, eternal life in you to be with you throughout all of eternity. Father, today I pray your blessings over this time of preaching. You know, as you look here with me this morning, John, when he wrote his gospel, the gospel of John, he tells you at the end of the gospel, you don't have to turn there unless you want to, but it's in chapter 20, the second to the last chapter. He tells you why he wrote the gospel. And he wrote the gospel so that you could know enough about Jesus to be saved, to get saved. Listen to what he says. 
He says right here in verses 30 and 31, this is not in our text where we're going to be looking, but listen. John says, And truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, the book of the Gospel of John. But these are written, why? That you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. He says, these are written so that you may believe right now, present, and that believing you may have life in his name. When you look at this one right here, John is not writing for us so that we can get saved. He's writing this book for those of us who are saved can have assurance and know that we're saved. I'm not preaching today for you how to get saved. I'm preaching so that you can know that you are saved. And I don't know about y'all, I'm thankful that the Word of God gives us the faith. Look at what he says right there again. Read it with me in verse 13. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know and have continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. Faith is not something that happened to you. Saving faith is something that is happening to you. It's ongoing. If it's not ongoing, if it's not active and alive in you today, it never happened. You see, faith is not something that you have. Faith is something that has you. And friends, as you look right here, he says, these things I've written to you who believe already in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue ongoing to believe in the name of the Son of God. Flip back with me to chapter 1. I want you to see over and over he says these things we write to you. And he's talking at first when he opens the book up and he's telling you that this is first-hand experience. We've seen, we touched, we heard Jesus. That's what he's talking about. He says right there in verse 1, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. He's talking about Jesus. We personally seen him. We heard him. We were in contact with him. When he starts the Gospel of John, he says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And he tells you, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten Son of the Father full of grace and truth. Jesus walked on this earth. Men seen him, walked with him, lived with him, was taught by him personally, and they give us the personal written record in the gospel so that we can know Jesus, so we can know what Jesus come to do, so we can know what he taught, and we can experience him just like they did. And that's what he's talking about right here. He says in verse 2, the life was manifested and we have seen and we bear witness. He said, we declare to you. That's what he's wrote this for. That eternal life was with the Father and was manifested to us. It was revealed to us. That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us and truly our fellowship was with the Father and with his son, Jesus Christ. Friends, listen, if you're not in fellowship with God through his son, Jesus, in a relationship, if you're not in communion with him, if he doesn't speak into your life and interfere with your life, and you don't talk to him in prayer that you believe and can feel in your spirit that he effectively hears you and answers you, friends, you're missing out on what eternal life is. 
Eternal life is not something you're going to get when you go to heaven. Eternal life is something you got the moment you got born again. The moment you got saved. Eternal life is knowing God. And look at what he says, and I want you to notice. The first we started out with, he said, These things I have written so that you may know that you have eternal life. Well, here it is again. And these things we write to you that your joy may be full. This is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you. So what he's writing is the things that they heard from Jesus personally. They're writing them down to declare to us. I don't know about y'all. Have you noticed that when you write with Jesus, when you're walking with him, going where you ought to go, doing what you ought to do, you're, you're in his presence, you're abiding in him, he's abiding you. Have you noticed that the joy of his salvation is overwhelming in your life? When you are missing joy in your life, I'm not talking about you have times where you go through trouble, but I'm talking about the inner joy that you can come to a worship service and sing from your heart and be exhilarated in Jesus and what he's done for you. That doesn't come from religion. That comes from a relationship. Can I get an amen? That comes from knowing him and him knowing you and him being actively involved in your life and you being actively involved in what he wants to do with your life. And you walk with the Lord. To do that, you've got to walk in the light. You can't walk in the darkness and have God because God is light and in him there is no darkness. And if you walk in the darkness, darkness is error. Darkness is anything that God is opposed to. Light is everything that God says is true. Light is everything that God says is right. God is everything God wants to have happen in your life. And when you walk in that, guess what you walk in? Fellowship. And you have joy. So he's saying, I'm writing this so that you can experience the joy that we have in Jesus the joy that he brings to your life when you're rightly related to God the Father through his Son. That's what it's all about. It ain't about just coming down an aisle, getting your name on an aisle, getting dunked in some water and hope one day you get into heaven. That's the best thing about it, praise God. But eternal life don't start when you get in heaven. Eternal life starts when you get born again. When God puts his life into your life, you're a new animal, Amen. Paul said, you're a new creature. If you be in Christ, old things pass away. Behold, all things become new. I don't know about y'all, but I thank God I wasn't just singing that song, Hell Lost Another One. I was singing it from my heart. Hell Lost Another One one day in 1996 in January. I got set free. Hell does not scare me no more. How about you? And friends, listen, that's what you ought to be looking at today. As we walk with the Lord. Look, he says it some more. As you go down through here, Look at how he starts chapter 2, verse 1. My little children. He's not talking to lost people here. He's talking to people who know Christ, who are in fellowship with him, who have eternal life. He says, my little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. Number one rule for everybody that is saved, don't sin. But if we do sin, we have an advocate. Jesus the righteous. He tells us right before that, he's telling us, he said, if you want to keep your joy, you got to keep your sin problem. He's saying, if you sin, confess your sins. Look at verse 8 and verse 9 of chapter 1. He says in verse 8, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If the truth is not in us, you can't be free. You shall know the truth, the truth shall set you free. And as you walk in the truth, you you enjoy the freedom that Christ has for you. But if you do sin, we have an advocate, Jesus the righteous, who advocates for us. 
who can forgive us. And look at what he says in verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That is for the little children of God. That is for the brethren. Friends, listen, just confessing your sin will not get you forgiven unless you first come to Jesus Christ and you're saved and you're forgiven. Friends, listen to this. Look at what he says right down in verse 7 of chapter 2. Brethren, I write no new commandment to you, but an old commandment. Guys, we've been hearing from the beginning of the book, and you'll hear it to the end, that God does not allow sin in his presence. God doesn't want sin in our life. So God gives us help. You know what the help is? I want you to look back with me where we started in chapter 5, and I want you to see what he says. If you are saved, how to know you're saved? Well, the first thing God's going to do when he saves you is he's going to give you his life. You're going to be born again. This is what Jesus said about being born again. In John's gospel in chapter 3, he told a very religious man who in the eyes of us would have been a righteous man. His name was Nicodemus. He was a Pharisee. He was a committed lifestyle of living out the law and working and serving as a leader in the church in his day of Israel. And he went to Jesus by night because he was seeing and realized that Jesus had to be who he said he was or he couldn't do what he was doing. And Nicodemus went to him and Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly I say to you, Nicodemus, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus tells him, How can a man be born again? How can he enter again into his mother's womb? And Jesus said, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again of the water and of the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. I've been saying this since the day I got saved, since I started preaching, and I'm going to be saying it till I'm out of here. There is no way you can be born again. You can be dead flesh. No spiritual life in you because sin has robbed you of that from your inherited sin that you got from Adam, your great-great-grandfather way down there. The whole world has inherited sin nature. And you're born with an inability to have a spiritual life. That's what being born again is. That's what Jesus provides. Listen to what he says right here in verse 5, I mean verse 1 of chapter 5. Look at what John's telling us. This is for you can know that you're saved. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ, that's the Messiah, the Savior, is born of God. May I tell you, if you get born of God, you won't wonder if it happened. You won't say, I hope it happened. You get born of God, I want to tell you, one moment there's no spirit in you. The next moment there is spirit in you. Jesus said that which is flesh is flesh. That which is born again is of the spirit. You got the spirit in you. I don't know about y'all, but when the spirit comes into your life, church becomes different. When the spirit comes into your life, the word of God becomes different. When the church, when God puts his presence in you, the world even becomes different. I remember thinking, man, the world has changed. Everything's fixed. And now I found out the world ain't changed. The only thing got fixed was us. <laughs> the world's still out there. And listen to this. Whoever is born of God is everyone who believes in Jesus. I want you to look at what he says happens to you. Look at chapter 4. Look at verse 13. If you ain't got a Bible, pay attention today. Listen good. Listen to what he says in verse 13. By this we know that we abide in him and he abides in us because he has given us 
his spirit. That's how you know. He puts his life into you. If you get saved, you don't just get your name on a roll in a church house. You don't get just become a Baptist or a Pentecostal or a Methodist. You become a child of God. You become a brethren, amen? You're part of the family. You're adopted. And guess what? If the Lord becomes your daddy, you're going to know he's a good father because he's going to be real involved in your life. He's going to let you know when you're messing up. He's going to bless you and let you know and encourage you when you're doing right. He's going to show favor on you. He's going to give you grace. And you're going to experience things that you cannot experience until you get born again. And that's what he's still in this little book teaching you. What does born again do to you? What does it make happen to you? Look at what he says. Look back here at verse 24 of chapter 3. That's the last verse before you get to chapter 4. Look at what he says. Now he who keeps his commandments abides in him and he in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. John says that over and over and over. Look at what he says down in verse 4 of chapter 4. You are of God, little children. See, that's saved people. You are of God, little children, verse 4 of chapter 4, and have overcome them because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. You know why born-again people overcome the world? Because he put something in us that the world don't have. You know what he put in us? Himself. His spirit. And friends, that's the difference. Look at what he says down in verse 7. I'm sorry, wrong one. Verse 15. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. And if you abide in God because God abides in you and you've been given his spirit, he says that everyone who is born of God overcomes the world. That don't mean you're going to be perfect. It's everything's going to always be victorious. But it means the world's not going to win. The world's not going to beat you down. The world's not going to rob you of your faith. You see, he tells us a verse that we hear all the time, and it's usually used in a wrong way. But he tells us this. He says that they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out from us that they might be made manifest that none of them were of us. Friends, when you get born again and the Spirit of God gets in you, that's permanent, son. (laughs) He don't put the Spirit in you one day and take it out the next. He don't save John and put the Spirit in him and John does something he shouldn't do. I'm going to take my Spirit from you. No, the Bible says the Spirit is the guarantee of the purchased possession until the day of redemption. I don't know about y'all, I got sealed in the Spirit. I ain't always listened to him. I ain't always let him lead me. But I can promise you one thing, I ain't got rid of him yet, amen? He's in my life. And he lets me know that I belong to God and he does that to everybody. That's what he's talking about. And the one thing is, I don't know how, I talk to people all the time. It's hard to keep the faith today, amen? We're living in difficult times. But something keeps getting me up. Something keeps getting me talking to Jesus. Something keeps keeping me listening to Jesus. Something keeps me going. My faith. You see, faith is our proof that overcomes the world. Look at what he says in chapter 5 where we started out. 
These things I have written to you who believe that you may know that you have eternal life. Look at what he says in verse 4. If you're born again, you're going to overcome the world. Look at what John says. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Friends, if you're born again, your faith may falter. You may fail at times, but you'll never lose your faith. Peter denied the Lord three times, but Peter still had faith. Peter had his faith in Peter. I'll never let you down. You ever done that? I'll always serve you, Lord. I'll be faithful to the end. Peter said, I'll never deny you. He said, Peter, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows. When that old rooster crowed that third time, Peter went, he was wailing, he was broken. But the Lord told him, he says, when your faith returns, go and find your brethren. He said, the devil wants to sip you like wheat, but I have prayed for you. And friends, listen, the Lord is praying for us. He's given us faith, and our faith overcomes the world. Sometimes it feels like the world is going to overcome you, but it's kind of like this. He doesn't take you out of the world when he saves you. He does just opposite. He puts us in the world. <laughs> have you seen that? Jesus said, just as you sent me into the world, Lord, I have sent them into the world. And his prayer in John chapter 17. And friends, it's kind of like this. A boat was created to be in the water, but water ain't supposed to be in the boat. You were saved and created by God to be in the world, to be a witness, to be a representation, a manifestation of what salvation does when you get born again. That lost people can't explain it. He ought to quit. He ought to give up. Look at what's happened to him. But he keeps talking about Jesus. He keeps worshiping Jesus. He keeps listening to Jesus. His life ain't perfect, but golly, his faith sure ain't giving up. You see, genuine saving faith in a born-again person will keep following Jesus. Even when you fail, you feel like, I don't deserve to get to follow Jesus. You never did. And you say, oh, Lord, forgive me. And the Lord forgives you and he cleanses you and he lifts you up again. How many of you knows what I'm talking about? Friends, listen. That's how you know you're saved. All these people that came in the church got all excited for a season. Woo, ha, Jesus. And then all of a sudden you can't find them. The FBI don't know where they're at. According to him, if they ain't with us now, they never were with us. They went out from us because he said they never were of us. Because if they had been of us, they would still be here with us. Can I get an amen? I don't know about y'all, but I got joy today. I got up this morning and I had a desire to go to church. I woke up this morning I wanted to be with God's people. I woke up this morning I wanted to go do what God wanted to do with me. Sometimes I'm going to tell y'all, I'm on my way up here, I don't feel like preaching. I'm like, Lord, you better help me. Lord, you better do something. Lord, please give me some help. Anoint me, Lord. Fill me with the Holy Ghost. But every time, somehow, when I get up here, God takes over. And it happens again. I go home and tell Dad, I don't know how it happened. I'll never be able to preach that one again. That had to be Jesus. I'll be on my way up here. Lord, help me. Friends, I want to tell you something. It ain't easy to walk by faith, but it's possible because of what God does, not what you do. It's what God's doing. And if you've been born again, there's some things that's going to happen to you that you're going to recognize. You know what he also says? Whoever's born of God loves God's children. Have you noticed a lot of people who got Jesus on their bumper ain't very lovely? They wear him on their T-shirt, but he ain't coming out of their mouth. They put him over their home, but if you was to sit and watch that home, what goes on in that home ain't very Jesus. But I'm going to tell you what Jesus will make you do. He will make you love the brethren. And it's harder to love the church house 
than it was the bar room. See, in the bar room, I was in the bar room. I knew what to expect. We'd get mad. We'd fight Brother Gary. We'd go outside. One of us go home embarrassed because we got a black eye or a busted nose. We'd come back the next Friday night, and the one that busted your nose say, come on over here, cup, I'll buy you a beer. I don't know what got into me. Man, you get somebody mad at the church house, you unforgiven for life. They got a memory like an elephant. They ain't never going to forgive you. Pastor messes up, you might as well hunt another church. We're supposed to love one another like Jesus loves us. And friends, I don't know if that, you, that don't mean we like one another. And when I say like one another, I don't mean that you're affected. I mean that we're alike, we're similar. You see, man, the house of God is different. When we first got saved, we were colorblind instantly. I grew up in a house where my dad didn't let black people in the yard. He didn't let no black people in the house. You didn't invite black people from the church, your friends, to come and be with you. In fact, when you made friends with a black boy at church, you didn't, at school, and you played with him at recess, we didn't tell my daddy. But my daddy got saved one day. He got right with God. He started going to church. He changed. I had an uncle the same way. We'd go on vacation. He wouldn't eat at a chicken house if they had a black man working in it. He'd go hungry today, amen? But I can remember as a kid, that's the kind of I grew up in. And I was influenced by that mess. That was a reality, but it wasn't true. But you know what? When I got saved, when I got born again, man, me and Diane, we got to go to church. We'd go to every revival we could find. We'd look them up in the newspaper. And we'd go to revival. Man, we was going to revivals every week. They had them everywhere up in Tennessee. One day we on the way. We out in the middle of nowhere. We trying to find this church. We couldn't find it. Had a little old man. He was in his yard working in the yard, Brother Frank. And I stopped God's car. I said, sir, could you tell me where such and such church is? He went, boy, that's a black church. I said, it is? He said, yeah, that's the black church. It's right up the road. I got back in and told Diane, that's a black church. We didn't go home. We didn't say, oh, well, we ain't going to that revival. If you can't get revived in the black church, you ain't never going to get revived in a white church. I'm here to tell you, my friend. We went on up there. We pulled up. I ain't never seen so many Cadillacs and Buicks and Big, long, shiny cars in all my life. We got out my little truck, walked up in there, went on in. They treated us like celebrities. They loved us. Man, they got in there. How you doing? Way up. Boy, we so glad you're here, man. We had a high whole time in Jesus. Amen. Man, we just got to go from there. We had another friend at the, where Diane worked. She invited us to her church. They found out I was called to preach. Man, we went to this other revival. We walk in. We sit in there. All of a sudden, one calls me up there and said, Hey, the pastor wants to talk to you. Go up there. He handed me a book. And he said, you see that? I heard you called to preach. Yes, sir. He said, what's that say? Scripture reading. He said, that's you. Find which one the Lord wants you to read. Sit up here with me. Hand me up on the thing with him. I'm like. So I read the scripture. Sat down. Man, for long, I got invited to preach at a black church. And they was having their homecoming. It was a preach-a-thon. It was one preacher after another. They had me second to the, la the last one for lunch. <laughs> we got there. They had three preachers preach before me. Any, every one of them sang, and I mean they could sing, and then they preached. It got to be my turn. They had me down in the bulletin, and I'm not making this up, Reverend Marvin White. And they were so embarrassed when they found out my name was Marvin Cooper. And they was apologizing, and I was feeling so bad for them, and I'm laughing and saying, they said, who he? He the white guy. So they wrote my name in there. I'm not making this up. So when I got up in there, I'm thinking, I got to ease this up. So they asked me, hand me a mic. They said, you going to sing one, brother? I said, no. I said, look, I don't sing. I'm the white guy. 
And I said, I know y'all feeling bad about that bulletin mess up, but look, I'm only worried about my name being spelled right in one place, and that's the Lamb's Book of Life. Woo! Boy, I broke the ice. They got to shouting. I got to preaching. They were saying amen. My brother, friend, brother Chad and Tina was there, and I was preaching on idolatry. And I was preaching that you ought to idolize Jesus. Jesus ought to be the only idol in your life. And that if you ain't careful, all them Cadillacs out there be your idol. And Chad was like, he's going to get us killed. <laughs> what was funny, we're the only white people in there. And man, they treating us like we wanted the family because we was. But what was funny, they made me sit. I didn't get to sit with Diane, and I didn't get to sit with Chan and Tina. You know where Diane had to sit? With the church mothers. Church mothers got their own section. When I looked over there, they had me sitting with the preaching section. When I looked over at Diane, I didn't say, Diane's the only one in the church section, the mother's section, that ain't, that's white. You know what I noticed? Diane, the only one in there, ain't got a hat. <laughs> All the church mothers had hats, boy, and I mean, they was nice hats. Diane wasn't no hat. You know what? They wasn't worrying about noticing either. God, that's the way the house of God, that's the way the family of God will be. We colorblind, amen? We all family. It don't matter if you're a Democrat or a Republican. If you know Jesus, you ought to know able to love one another. That's the way God created it to be. And guess what? When you get filled with the abiding presence of God's Spirit in you, you see people the way God sees people, lost and saved. And saved people are all family. It don't matter if they're Methodist, if they're whatever denomination, if they're Baptist. We all are one in Christ. So you're going to love people. And some people in the church is hard to love. Would you agree? But guess what? Your faith is going to overcome the world. You're going to overcome. You're going to love God's people. Guess what else he says is going to happen? If you get saved, not only are you going to love God's people, and I didn't even get to tell you all the scripture references there, so I'll just tell you these right here. Look at chapter 4, verse 7. Look at chapter 4, verse 7. Look at what he says. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God. Friend, if you don't love people, you ain't born of God. And if you ain't born of God, you, you better get saved. <laughs> and look at what he says right there. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Friends, if you get saved, you're going to love difficult people. You're going to treat them the way they ought to be treated, not the way they deserve to be treated, the same way God treats you. But guess what else happens? Not only does he say that everyone who believes in Jesus is born of God, and everyone who is born of God overcomes the world, everyone who is born of God loves God's children, but everyone who is born of God practices righteousness. He doesn't practice sin. Now, I don't know if you noticed, but if you watched the news... If you study society and culture, people practice sin. Because everyone outside of Jesus, everyone who has not been born again, naturally sins on a regular basis. Some more than others. Now, guys, listen. You're not judged based on people around you. Now, you can come to church and look at somebody and compare yourself to people in church and look real righteous. But that's not what you're compared to. You're compared to the righteousness of God, which is sinless, perfect righteousness. The only one who ever walked on the face of this earth in the flesh and left a track, a footprint, and lived sinless was Jesus. 
That's why he's the Savior. That's why he's the advocate that represents us before God. And his life, his death on the cross was the only life that could pay the price that none of us could pay because we all by nature practice sin. Do you have to teach your children to sin? You got to teach them not to sin. If you leave your child alone, he's going to lie. He's going to be selfish. He's going to abuse others. You got to teach them not to do that or they will live that way. And you know, we've come to the place where we don't look at selfishness and rudeness and um, self-centeredness and dishonesty as much of a problem anymore in our society. But it's a big problem with God. See, God's standard has not changed. And so... Those who are born again not only love people, but they practice righteousness. Listen what he says when you look at this with me. If you turn with me here, look at chapter, chapter 2, verse 29. Listen to what he says. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone practices righteousness is born of God if the practice of righteousness the desire to be more righteous and to do things that are righteous and let righteousness be the thing that is growing in your life that is being manifested in your life not that you'll ever be perfectly without sin but you no longer practice sin. No longer do you live a life of sin. Now you're striving and you're even accomplishing it to the point that when people look at you, they say, he is a man or a woman who is righteous. He lives for the Lord. You see, John tells you right here that if you're born of God, you're going to practice righteousness. If you're born of God, you're not going to agree with same-sex marriage. You're not going to agree with killing innocent unborn babies. And you're also not going to agree with a lot of stuff that we agree in in the church. You're not going to agree with gossiping and backbiting against your neighbor. And you're certainly not going to participate in it. And you're going to believe in truth. You're going to believe that telling the truth and living the truth is important. And friends, people who don't live the truth and live outside of God's rights and habitually there is little righteousness in them. If they were to look at their life and weigh their righteousness compared to their unrighteousness, they in trouble. Look at what he says about this. When you look down in chapter 3, look at verse 7. I'm sorry, verse 4. Whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness and sin is lawlessness. And look at what he says in verse 6. I mean, verse 5, and you know that he was manifested, that's Jesus, he was here among us to take away our sins, and in him there is no sin. Whoever abides in him, in Jesus, does not sin. He doesn't mean you don't commit a sin, but he's meaning you're not sinful, you're not sinning regularly. Whoever sins, with an S, sinning, sinful, plural, has neither seen Jesus nor known Jesus. That's what he says. I just changed those impersonal pronouns into his name. And then look at what he says in verse 7. Little children, let no one deceive you. 
He who practices righteousness is righteous, just as Jesus is righteous. He who sins, he who practices sin is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifest that he might destroy the works of the devil. Friends, if you've been born again, you're going to overcome the world. You're going to love God's people, and you're not going to be a person who habitually practices right. You're going to practice righteousness. Your life's going to change. And friends, today we got a lot of people in the church that their sanctification is stuck. It's bogged down. And his sanctification process is real in our life. We shouldn't have mouths that can't be separated and told the difference of from the world. Our mouth should not speak as the world. We should not be as the world because what we love is not what the world loves. Look at what he says about what happens if you love the world. And friends, he says over in chapter 2, verse 13, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Friends, listen. The world is seeking all kinds of things that are unrighteous, because that's what they love. Now, guys, I'm not here to tell you that we don't mess up. We do sin. But our sin life should not be a greater practice than our righteous life. We should be changing. We should be growing. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passing away. Behold, all things shall become new. And friends, listen. I didn't write this. John did. Why did he write it? He said, I'm writing this so that you can know you're saved. So that you can know you have eternal life. And if you're born again, you've trusted Jesus. And Jesus has given you life. And if you're born again, you're going to love God's children you're going to practice righteousness. And look, he says, you're not going to practice sin. We take far too light an attitude towards sin. We don't realize how wicked and how destructive sin is in our relationship with God, even if we're saved. You can't have perfect communion. And listen to what he says right here. When you look at sin, he says in verse 10, and this the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Friends, listen, if you love one another, you're not going to sin against one another. You're going to not practice sin. And friends, when you look at this, look at chapter 3, look at verse 9. Remember, all of this that he wrote, that's what I'm wanting us to see. Chapter 3, verse 9. Whoever has been born of God does not sin, but his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin because he has been born of God. Friends, if you've been born of God and God's Spirit is in you, that's what he's talking about, and his Spirit lives in you, you can't live in sin the way you used to before. How many of you have tried to go back to Egypt? <laughs> you remember what happened when the Israelites got delivered. I'm fixing to close. I know it's getting long again. I'm sorry. But ain't it good? But when he took them out of Egypt, Egypt is a picture of the world. Pharaoh is a picture of the devil. And the slave life that they lived is a picture of sin. And God sent a deliverer named Moses. Moses came. 
let my people go. That's what Jesus come. He told the devil, let my people go. We just sang about it. Hell lost another one. I'm free, I'm free. Amen. The devil ain't got us no more. That don't make us sing. But guys, I want you to think about this. God did everything. He sent Moses. He prepared Moses. Took him 40 years in the wilderness. But he got him right. He sent him. He told Pharaoh, let my people go. Pharaoh's just like the devil. He wouldn't do it. So God did miraculous things. He did all kind of works. He sent plagues. He broke old Pharaoh. And old Pharaoh finally said, all right, you can leave. But then once they left, he's like the devil. The devil don't want to let us go. The devil's constantly trying to get us back, ain't he? Even though he can't. Pharaoh couldn't get them back. But Pharaoh ran behind them and they were trapped, they thought. Sometimes that's how we feel. Don't you sometimes feel trapped? Jesus, can't you set me free? Can't you deliver me? Man, they were at that Red Sea. It was water on this side, a mountain on this side, and Pharaoh's army on this side. And they said, oh, we're done. What did Moses say? Stand back and look at the glory of God's salvation. He stuck a staff in the water. He parted the Red Sea. That's a picture of salvation. They walked through on dry land, went to the other side. Pharaoh came after them, and God destroyed them. God has destroyed the devil. He has no right to you. He has no power over you except what you give him, and what you give him is by him deceiving you and tricking you. He actually has no power over us if we're in Christ. And as they went across, they were in the wilderness, and friends, God wants to bring us not out of Egypt, not out of sin, not out of the bondage of being lost into the wilderness in the world. He wants to bring us to the promised land, the abundant life in Christ. So what did he do? He brought them out in the wilderness to test their faith, to show them what he can do. They wasn't out there in no time. They was just like the Baptists. We're thirsty. Oh, this is hard. This is bad. So God said, Moses said, all right. He struck the rock and gave them water. Then they said, we're hungry. We don't like this manna, this bread from heaven. We're tired of eating this stuff. So God sent quail till it came out of their nostrils. And he fed them. They wandered. And he got them to the promised land. And he said, all right, that's the land of milk and honey. Y'all go and take it. But they didn't believe God. So they sent their spies. They formed the first Baptist committee. <laughs> And they sent 12 in to check it out to make sure if it was what God said and if it's what we want to do. They came back. Two said, it's just like God said. It's wonderful. Let's go. God has given us the abundant life in Christ, the promised land, the land of milk and honey. That's here for everybody if you're saved. But what did they say? We can't do it. There's giants. There's things that are tough. They might hurt our kids. What do we say today? We can't serve God. There's COVID. Oh no, what's going to happen to America? They're going to take away our rights. We won't be able to have church because America won't give us permission. Friends, you got permission when Jesus died on the cross and said, it is done. But friends, listen, what happened to them? They listened to the 10, to the majority and God got mad and they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years till every one of them died. Then the few who would believe God, trust God, he took them to a river at flood stage. And this time he didn't let them stick a staff in there. He said, stick your big toe in. And when you take your first step in the river, I'll part the Jordan at flood stage and you can come on in. And they went into the promised land and the Joshua generation, the believers, took the promised land. Friend, listen, that's how you walk with God, by faith. He's done everything you need. You're born again. He's given you the Spirit. 
You're his child. You've got the love of God to do it. You've got the spirit of God. We don't have to live unrighteous. We don't have to sin. we got Jesus in our heart. Today, there's people here that don't have Jesus. That's why he wrote this book, to show you all this stuff is missing in my life. But I got my name on the roll book. I got baptized. All of my family are Baptists. There ain't nobody in heaven because they're Baptists. When we enter heaven, they're not going to say, where did you go? God's going to say, who did you know? And if you didn't know Jesus, you ain't getting in, my friend. Jesus will save you right now. He walked Calvary for you. He toted an old rugged cross up a hill for you. The least you could do is walk an aisle today and say, Lord, touch me. He called me. He told me today if I will come, he will save me. He says, come. Whoever shall come, he'll let in. And he'll give you rest. Jesus is calling somebody in here today. You'll be born again. You'll leave out here different than you came. Can I get an amen? God is still God. We just got to let him be. So I'm going to ask you today, does your life pass the first John test? Are you more righteous than sinful? Are you loving people the way God says to love people? Or only you love people who love you back? And are you overcoming the world or is the world overcoming you? Because you know what? If you put a boat in water and enough water gets in it, that boat sinks. You put a Christian in the world, if he's a real Christian, he ain't going to get enough world to sink. He might struggle. But sooner or later, he's going to let Jesus pump him out and clean him out. And he's going to keep floating. I don't know about y'all, but by the grace of God, I've been floating for 20-some years for Jesus. Amen? And I'm planning on floating on the glory. How about you? I'm inviting you to come with us today. If you need Jesus, this is your day, the day of your salvation. We're going to stand. If you are saved, but you ain't where you need to be, Jesus will fix that today. This is an altar you can come to. Jesus loves you. He wants to forgive you and cleanse you. And if you're not saved today, he wants to save you. You're not coming to this church. You're not coming to me. You're coming to Jesus. If Jesus is calling you today, you feel him drawing you, your heart is saying, do you need Christ? Do you need to be saved? Come today. Because if you can't do it here, where will you do it? And Jesus is here. He loves you. He'll save you. And I'm asking you to give your heart to Jesus if he's calling you this morning because he will save you and forgive you. Let's pray. Father, I just pray right now for hearts to be obedient to you, for your spirit to touch our spirits. Thank you, Lord, for that day when you came into our life and we were born again. Thank you for the grace that keeps us loving people, that keeps us overcoming the world, that keeps us striving for righteousness and shunning sin. Lord, it's not us, it's you in us. And we praise you for that today. And Lord, I pray that the one closest hell today before he leaves this place would come to Calvary and be saved. Help them to personally and publicly walk this aisle and say, I want to give my heart to Jesus. Father, I pray right now that would happen. In Jesus' name, amen.